Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Okay, this is this is one they go on about all the time because wickedness yeah. never was happiness. President, what's the, the one from President Nelson where he says people outside the church or who leave the church will never experience true joy. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I've experienced more joy outside than I did inside. If true joy is what living the gospel like and the church life of constantly being away from your family and constantly being stressed out by having to go visit this person and that person and be propping up a system that is just crumbling around your ears. If that's true joy, I don't want true joy. Well, uh, yeah, related to that too. I don't know if you ever saw like um, Elder Iring or President Iring a couple of years ago was speaking at a funeral for a general authority who passed. And he went on and on about how this general authority was whipping everyone into shape doing missionary work in the afterlife and organizing and working and and like is this really the picture of heaven he's trying to paint for everyone is after you die you have to do more church callings and 24 7 because you don't need to eat or sleep right and so you're just constantly on the go doing yeah. church yeah not my vision of heaven but maybe it's his well, I think John Larson was on with Mormon Stories a couple of months ago speaking about the the numbers of it all. And obviously, TBMs will say, oh, well, time won't work in the next life the way that it works mm-hmm. now and different things. But I'm sure it's got to be something like now because isn't it all patterned after the world and all that before? Anyway, he was basically saying if you need to people a planet with all these spiritual babies, even if like the gestation period of a spirit baby is a second it'll take you billions of years <laughs> to to yeah just to create all of these spirits with all of you and you'll just be constantly having celestial sex and making spirit babies there'll be no time for anything else maybe that's true joy i don't know but <laughs> okay wickedness never was happiness let's see what uh, what we've got here in the Book of Mormon, Alma 41.10 states, Wickedness never was happiness. It is true up to a point, theft and murder won't make you happy, but some perversions of this statement have harmed many of my Mormon friends and family. First, if wickedness isn't happiness, then wickedness is unhappiness. So one can mistakenly conclude that if I'm unhappy, I'm wicked, or at least not doing things well enough. It's my fault. Another fallacy is believing the opposite. Righteousness is happiness. If I'm righteous, then my reward is happiness, so some are forced to seem happy, even if they're not, to prove their righteousness. Fake it till you make it, an exhaustive and unauthentic way to live. Another point that seems to have embedded itself in Mormon thought is that the righteous are overtly rewarded, especially financially. Therefore, if I am wealthy, then it must mean I am being rewarded for my righteousness. How often do we see successful men being made leaders? These erroneous associations have deeply infiltrated Mormon life and culture, and I feel they contribute to significant pain among the, the LDS people. Let me know if you see it too. Mm. My, um, my brother-in-law and I were attending a, a priesthood meeting, a fireside or something one evening. And on the way out, he took me in the car park and he started pointing at all these really posh cars, really nice cars. 
-hmm. and uh, he was pointing at all the cars of like the high council and state presidency and some bishops and he just looked at me and he, he nodded and said oath and covenant of the priesthood as in follow your priesthood you'll get nice cars prosperity gospel yeah sure yeah so yeah uh, and, and yeah how many stake presidents do you see who are well I, I don't know in the uk but like a lot around here in the us a lot of times these stake presidents have the bigger houses they're the the ceos or the partners in law firms or whatever um i don't i don't know of any like tradespeople who are stake presidents not often i'm sure there are but they're not the ones that are touted and they're certainly typically not on the path to being a general authority. Yeah. And I think, I don't think it's the way around that they want to think it is. They want it to be, he's been righteous and we can see his righteousness because he's been blessed with all this wealth and mm -hmm. different things. But if that's the case, um, Elon Musk should be an apostle. The most yeah. righteous of all. Yes. You, you know what I mean? If, if yeah. that's your measure of righteousness, how much money he has, uh, and and how you know all of his worldly gains then there's a lot of people missing from the quorum of the 12. the quorum of the 12 yeah should be he, bezos and yeah, yeah Musk and a bunch of arabs probably yeah branson you know with his his virgins um yeah it's in the book of mormon alma 41 oops it's it's totally not a thing and i think the brethren see successful young men who are return missionaries marrying the temple and then they think right they fit they fit what we want people to see as righteous priesthood leaders you know and and they're the ones that get called for that reason in my opinion mm -hmm. and the more painful part is that you better act happy because if you're not then you're doing something wrong so it doesn't really seem to be a place. If you're struggling emotionally or whatever, that is a reflection on your worthiness as yeah. well. And that I think that's that's even tougher. And how many people do you see at the chapel on a Sunday morning who are just like off their nut on the spirit with a massive smile on their face and just really happy to be there? Like you see the occasional person sometimes a single sister who's kind of hugging everyone and is just happy to be around everyone and the reason i say single sister is because i've got one in mind um mm -hmm. from my old ward um but just this one person is really jolly and surely they should be the one running the place because they're actually finding joy whereas the rest of us are like oh my gosh i've got bishop rick or oh i've, I've <laughs> not the home teaching or ministering as it is now or oh, I've got a PPI later, you know, it's oh, just yeah. a, a chore. Not a joy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, we're back to the journal. Okay. So now we're going to get into kind of a little phase where we look at some of um, the teachings that you've covered uh, on the channel. Uh, and I've, I've just chosen a few interesting bits that I thought were, yeah, interesting to me at least. Yeah. This is the journal of William Clayton, an early Mormon church scribe for Joseph Smith, and he also wrote the popular hymn, Come, Come, Ye Saints. I'd like to read an excerpt from his journal dated October 19, 1844, in which he says, 
Last night I dreamed I was in a rich building, in a very pleasant place. I thought I was married to Brother Alpheus Cutler's youngest daughter, who was 16 at the time, and she seemed as happy as an angel, and I felt full of joy and peace. I thought I had received Miss Cutler in addition to those I had already got. He was already married to multiple women. When I awoke, I felt disappointed and felt to pray in my heart, O God, if it be thy will, give me that woman for a companion, and my soul shall praise thee, but thy will be done and not mine. Welcome to early Mormon church polygamy. Okay, if anyone is listening on the podcast, please, you have to see the visuals of this, because what what MFW has done is he's put together uh, a scene from American Beauty. Is that right? Yeah. And it's the scene where the young cheerleader is dancing and the main character is uh, lusting after her. Interestingly enough, he's been charged with that now, hasn't he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but art imitating life. So it's just like you said, they're after all the young girls and they've still got loads of wives anyway. Um, so, but that one made me giggle. I, I did enjoy that one. Yeah. And I think someone, yeah, someone commented that she's a descendant of that young 16 year old who ended up marrying, I think, Heber C. Kimball or something like that. And she had never heard this story. Wow. But That's anyway. It's gross. Yeah, it is. And pre presentism. I don't know. Okay. That's what they'd say, isn't it? But I think it's gross anyway. Like, yeah, it is. I look at my daughter or my friend's daughters and, and I think Joseph Smith would be marrying you right now. And it's just not right. They're not ready for it. And yeah, it's it's wrong. Okay. It absolutely is. Yep. This is the. Okay. Zelf, the giant white Lamanite. I always <laughs> like this story, but you've got something in here that I'd never seen before. Let's take a look. In June 1834, Joseph Smith excavated or desecrated a Native American burial mound and found a skeleton. Joseph Smith said it was the remains of a Lamanite warrior named Zelf. Joseph Smith reportedly took an arrowhead that was embedded in the skeleton's rib. This arrowhead was passed down and eventually came to Zena Young Card, one of Brigham Young's daughters. She sent the arrowhead to the church for safekeeping, along with two of Joseph Smith's steer stones. In a letter to Wilfred Woodruff, she wondered about its fate and possible return. Joseph F. Smith replied uh, that the sacred artifact was best to have in the church. The church does admit to possessing the arrowhead, but claims to not know of its origins and may have miscatalogued it. Um, maybe they could put the work into finding out more about this arrowhead. Maybe they could verify the story, then run some studies on the arrowhead itself to verify their claims of early Lamanite, Lamanite origin. Did they really miscatalog an artifact thought to belong to the prophet who claimed it was from a Lamanite warrior? With all the questions about church history out there, couldn't they try to answer this one that they have in the vault? Let's see if the prophet Joseph Smith was right about Zelf miscatalogued it <laughs> yeah that was an article i guess someone it was a byu article that i um that i just read and that that was the that was the claim from the church that it's like oh yeah we don't know maybe this is it maybe it's not but you would think that something passed down from joseph smith would be probably given a place of honor somewhere in well in it's 
they'll say it's just gone with the sword of laban to the cave in the hill Cumora. well it's um, in a cave but it's in utah yeah in that mountain exactly I never knew that they were supposed to have the actual arrowhead because there are so many, obviously over there you get arrowheads everywhere archeologically um, because that was the weapon of choice for hundreds of years before uh, we got there and ruined everything. But yeah, they kept the arrowhead and she gave them the seer stones because it wasn't until a few years ago that I found out about the chocolate colored seer stone that the right. Book of Mormon came from. And that kind of really pushed me over the edge uh, into being like, oh, this is ridiculous. But I was listening to Grant Palmer. I think it was one of the first kind of anti-Mormon um, pieces that I listened to was him talking about these other seer stones. And I'm like, there are others? Yeah. But there are like four or five of them that he used. Mm -hmm. And that's what in that letter, she had a couple of stones and the arrowhead and joseph f smith he said yeah we got them these are sacred relics so he wasn't questioning them he was he was uh, thinking they were legitimate so at least back then you would think that maybe he cataloged it correctly but who knows yeah well you would think as well though that if this was the fullness of all times and joseph smith you know came with this new restoration of things and was using seer stones that that was the pattern to follow and that rusty should be using seer stones today and that's why they've kept them you know but obviously they don't because they know that they don't work because nope. you <laughs> i tried um last week on the paramormon investigation i put my head in the hat with a, a rock in it that i really tried hard to believe was going to show me something. And I sat there for a few minutes in a very dark haunted room and nothing happened. So. Well, according I, to Brad Wilcox, your cell phone is your modern seer stone. So uh, yeah, yeah. You know what, but oh, give it a rest. We know why cell phones work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Someone could take it apart and tell me why it works. Take apart a seer stone and tell me why it works. You can't. <laughs> because it's supernatural you can't compare a supernatural item to a, a technical item and say they're the same thing it's not we understand why one works the other one's bs <laughs> sorry absolutely in june okay oh and there's a letter from zine i was trying to read that earlier and it was it took me back to my indexing days yeah yeah okay but we have witnesses how many times as a missionary did you trot out the eight and the three witnesses and yeah. say to people, look, we have witnesses. We've, we've got these eight people, these three people who have no skin in the game. <clears throat> and, you know, they, they should be enough hundreds of years later that, to tell you that it's true. Substantial cases is because witnesses lie all the time. They just do. They want to help out their cousin who was accused of a murder. Or they want to be on a Dateline episode with you. Whatever it is. And you have to kind of vet through those people. Let me tell you what I've learned. Never trust an eyewitness. Never. You will get burned. I've trusted eyewitnesses, and I've gotten burned. I do not trust eyewitness testimony. It stinks. 
So here I'm here to tell you guys, okay? Just so you know, in real cases, witnesses never agree. Never. I've never had a case where witnesses agreed about everything, ever. I've been doing it for a long time. I remember one time I got called out to a scene at night, a crime scene, a murder scene. Took me about an hour to get there. Almost always in the middle of the night, if you call me, I have one instruction for dispatch. It's simple. Are there officers at the scene? Yes, have them separate the eyewitnesses. I'll be there in an hour. This night, I was so tired, I didn't say it. So when I got there, because it's raining, they put all of the witnesses in the back of one car where they sat together for an hour before I got there. Is that good or bad? Bad. Why? Because now they've had an hour to get their stories together. I don't want their stories together. I constantly, this is from the book, I constantly have witnesses that have a different background. And when they see the same event, they want to record it differently. Why would that be the case? How could there be this much variation between the two accounts? Am I to believe then that the, it never really happened? It couldn't have happened. This couldn't have been a robbery because you guys don't agree. Am I going to say I'm not working the case because there couldn't have been a robbery because you guys don't agree? No. I figure out why they don't agree. It's my job to reconcile the eyewitness accounts. And you're not going to agree. Look, if we have a robbery tomorrow, do you think I'm going to ask him what the guy was wearing? No, I'm going to ask her. I'll be honest. You couldn't even tell, I couldn't even tell what I was wearing yesterday. But my wife could. It's, just, it's your background. Probably if I'm going to ask what kind of gun was it, I mean, I ask somebody who doesn't know anything about guns. Everyone brings a certain background into it. They see different things. So let me just tell you this so you can relax. In real eyewitness accounts, eyewitnesses never, ever, ever, ever agree. That's okay. That's a good thing. Because if they agreed entirely, you shouldn't trust them. That's called collusion or it's called whatever it may be called. It can't be real. I've never seen that happen in all the years I've worked a case. I expect real eyewitness accounts to vary. But that's substantial collusion yeah different perspective you know this guy's a police detective and so uh yeah those eyewitnesses accounts everything's exactly the same well it's all in the same handwriting too so who knows yeah and yeah it was i think it was oliver cowdery's uh handwriting wasn't it and i'm sure there was some some speak of or some suggestion that joseph um pressured the eight witnesses into um that account but it's true, like, if, if everyone gets together and decides what they've seen, uh, then that's what everyone says. There was a big case over here um, where at a football game, a lot of people died uh, due to a lot of fans being channeled into one part of the stadium at the same time. And there was a big crush in, in the 80s. And, yeah, 96 people, unfortunately, lost their lives. Oh, wow. But what happened afterwards is all the police officers got together to kind of decide on the account of what happened. You know, it wasn't right. You go over there, give your account, you give yours and you give yours so that you get a, a true event. Um, there was, yeah, it's, it's still it's still a thing today. It's still rumbling on. The police chief has been found guilty of something, but there was collusion in the police to try and take away um, some of the blame there. And I think it's the similar thing here, you know, 
all of the eight witnesses were either related to Joseph or had money invested. Mm -hmm. And so they've all got skin in the game. So what are they going to say to try and, um, you know, either help their family member or get their money back? They're going to say, yes, I have seen um, the plates. And yeah, Joseph is true. Give me your tithing. Yep. With their spiritual eyes. Yeah. Uh, as as you see a, a city through a mountain <laughs> that was a funny thing that the most honest one of the three three witnesses probably was martin harris because he removed himself because he couldn't see it mm -hmm. you know everyone else is saying oh look at this and he's like i don't see it you know i'm going to remove myself and then it was it was later when he was convinced by joseph that he was worthy that he eventually said oh yes i see it mm-hmm with his spiritual eyes, or as yeah. we call it today, his imagination. Or peer pressure. <laughs> yeah, basically. I see all sorts of things. Doesn't doesn't mean my wife's gonna uh, believe me. Substantial <laughs> cases is because Okay. <laughs> this yeah, one's right. this one's hilarious. This one was inspired by you, just so you know. You posted oh, you posted that video. And then it made me think of this and I put it all together. So this is, this one's your fault. Okay. Well, no, good. Cause it's one of my favorite ones. Thank you. But the, <laughs> this one, basically, uh, Keith Erickson church historian came to the UK at the end of last year mm -hmm. and he took question and answer sessions. So they were virtual sessions and you could submit questions online. So a lot of ex Mormons in the UK started submitting questions. On, on the live chat that's how live it was he was taking questions on the live chat yes he was kind of scrolling past a few but we all got a few questions in some people even got live like on the live chat to ask the question not just written but to physically ask the question but this one i think um was mark johnson he went in person to the preston stake center and asked the question in person about you know when is the church going to stop hiding stuff so were they hiding church history? You can't lie in front of the bulldozers indefinitely. I'm game. We'll see who rusts first. Mm. You're going to have to accept it, you know. This bypass has got to be built, and it's going to be built. But Mr. Depp, the plans have been available in the planning office for the last nine months. Oh, yes. Well, of course, as soon as I heard, I went straight round to see them. You hadn't exactly gone out of your way to call much attention to them, had you? Like telling anybody or anything. Plans were on display. On display? I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights are probably gone. So had the stairs. I did see the notice, didn't you? Oh, yes. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign outside the door saying, Beware of the leopard. Ever thought of going into advertising? Well, to agree with the things you've raised, uh, the church has been has been talking about many of these questions for a very long time. B. H. Roberts, uh, things have been published in the uh, the Improvement Era. As soon as the church acquired the Egyptian papyrus fragments in 1967, those were published. Uh, and so, so I, I, on one hand, I want to say, let's not oversimplify it to say we never talked about things before, and now all of a sudden we did. The church 
were to publish something about the Cedar Stone in the Children's Friend in 1974, which it did. And the fact that there is more than one version of the, of the first vision, which is uh, just a, a, a f not true, uh, the BYU in 1970, he, he, he produced a, an article for the church magazines explaining all about the different versions of the first vision. How long ago was that article? 1970. That was back in 1970. So been hiding that for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Trust us wherever you are in the world and you share this message with anyone else who raises the question about the church not being transparent. We're as transparent as we know how to be in telling the truth. <laughs> transparent as they know how to be. That that article in 1970, I think one of the Brit Ventures took a look and you can't get that on the church website. Really? Yeah, it did. They, they, they don't have it. A lot of stuff cuts off at 1970, so you can't see anything pre-correlation committee. So you can't see any of the general conference or magazines, but that hmm. particular one I don't think is there. So you have to go into grandma's basement for her print version. Yeah, but the church can say that, yeah, we, we told you guys, there it is in black and white. Yeah. And I think they do, they do a lot of that, you know, like Keith Erickson come in, it wasn't well publicized and it wasn't well attended. But in 20 years time, when someone is going on about, you know, you never told us this, they'll say, oh, hold your horses. In 2021, we sent church historian Keith Erickson to answer all of your questions. And then people, people like me will be like, uh, you know, I wasn't born until 1984, so how was I supposed to have read the people's friend in 1974? You know, and they'll be like, well, you should have looked. <laughs> yeah. It's your fault. And all the church art still reflects the the same version instead of the seer stone is still Joseph Smith reading the golden plates at a table by candlelight, whatever. And that was, there's art that was post 1980s. So, so yeah. yeah, but it's always fun visiting Douglas Adams and Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. Um, Father Vampire just letting us know. Uh, very true the the whole um you know paying your tithing and the windows of heaven opening very much a biblical um teaching as well as a mormon one so you know it just shows again how we've taken that and made it very central um to you know what what we're doing and to the culture uh joan galloway here pre-existence pd should have read it <laughs> should have read it before i was probably born did. you probably did but the veil you know so you forgot yeah no absolutely carby just asked does indexing mean digitizing records shouldn't people get paid for that it does mean digitizing records um you'll be you'll be shown like a a little sample of handwriting and then you have to try and guess what it says and type it in and people should be paid for it but they are definitely not mm -hmm. okay let's see where we go to next oh not there 
Okay, so we're coming, we're coming now towards the end of the presentation, but not the end. Please don't go anywhere. We've got four or five videos left. But after all of this, um, we know that Jehovah's Witnesses shun like none other. You know, you leave the church, you are dead to me. But in Mormonism, we like to say we don't do that. We still love people. And I think we've all experienced times when people who were our friends aren't our friends anymore. And they might say, well, we have different interests now. But if we were truly friends, you'd, you'd still make an effort to at least ask me how I am. But they don't. They ignore me now. Um, so shunning. Um, this is Todd, oh, D. Todd Christopherson um, speaking about shunning family members. A daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So although familial love continues, relationships may be interrupted. And according to the circumstances, even support or tolerance at times suspended for the sake of our higher love. And in reality, the best way to help those we love, the best way to love them, is to continue to put the Savior first. Douchebag. Yeah. Yeah. I just, a higher love. That is such an abusive, like, relationship kind of thing to tell the person that the reason you are doing this bad thing is because you love them more than they could understand. You know, to put the Savior first and putting the Savior first means stopping loving that person. But you're not stopping loving them. You've just got a higher love. And, and they're not putting Jesus first. They're putting the church first. And that's one of the things that the LDS church is sold is that the church equals God. Church equals Jesus. They are one in the same. So your devotion to a church calling or whatever, cleaning toilets is you're serving Jesus. So yeah, you shun the family because the church told you to, and that means God told you to, and that's that higher love, which is, which is garbage. The church is not Jesus. It is not God. And that's when the church becomes God, that's technically idolatry. That is wrong. It's exactly what we're not supposed to do. Yeah. And if, if my memory serves me correct, wasn't Jesus always found, wasn't, wasn't like one of the things I hate about Jesus was that he wasn't always with the, the priests and in the synagogues and different things. He was always with the sinners and those that were sick and he was always ministering um to to those around him who were seen as less than but for mm -hmm. me that's the higher love that he was showing to them so surely if we're following the higher love of jesus they should be not cutting off that family relationship it should be an increase of love and just it also goes against simply you know, remember when you're a missionary, you're given those characteristics of that ideal investigator. It's someone the family knows, someone that maybe knows a little bit about the scriptures, somebody that's going through something, so a hard time. That's that's a definition of an ex-Mormon. They should be focusing all their effort. I know people don't. Some people don't want that. They leave the church. They don't. They don't want the attention. But that's you know just that's one thing is they should be reaching out to all these people, especially family members. Oh yeah. This is, this is a good video too. 
Yeah, so this is dealing with being shunned. Um, and for anyone out there who is struggling with that, my heart goes out to you because it's the worst thing. Um, so let's, who's this gentleman? He, I think, wrote a book. I came, my, actually, this is one of the things my wife came across this video a little while ago. And a little background, too, is uh, in our family, I, I told you that my oldest daughter is still in the church and she has cut off all ties with us um, after leaving the church. So, I mean, it is, it's a very, real thing and it wasn't it wasn't uh it wasn't subtle she called us and said yeah i'm not going to associate with you anymore and that was about six months ago we haven't heard from her since and oh, uh, it's it's painful and it's all too common and it's you see it over and over again you look on TikTok or youtube or People are writing about this. This is a, a, a real phenomenon that is, that's hurting people, and it's a, a savage practice. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm just glad I got my kids out soon enough, like young enough. Yes. So we got three um, out of the four. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, let's see what this uh, gentleman has to say. Um, I will, I think I've got it queued up where you said, but we'll, oh no, I'll just move it forward to okay yeah people who we love who are shunning us right now are seriously incapacitated people they're disabled by the coercive indoctrination that has been branded into their psyches like possession indoctrination is like possession unless you've been indoctrinated it's very difficult to understand but let me give you an example you've got imagine if someone said to you you've got three noses on your face and you say no I've got one no, you've got three. Let me explain and talk, talk to you about it. And you will think, nah, I'm not gonna waste my time. I've got better things to do with my life than to waste my time talking about, uh, discussing whether I've got more than one nose. Now, indoctrinated people feel the same way about anything contrary to what they're being indoctrinated about. They don't wanna waste their time thinking about it, talking about it. They are completely and utterly taken over in their minds by what the cult leader and what the religious group has indoctrinated them into believing. Uh, definition of indoctrination is instilling a set of beliefs in someone in such a way that they are unwilling or unable to question or evaluate those beliefs independently. In effect, indoctrinated people are disabled from critical thinking and analysis. They are possessed with the rhetoric and the doctrine of the indoctrinator that understanding about our loved ones um, who are who shun us can really help when you understand that they are critically uh, dysfunctionally disabled due to the indoctrination another understanding is when where there's separation and division and shunning and ostracizing there's always fear it's all rooted in fear and understand this that they are fearful of you they will say they aren't of course but they are they're fearful of what could happen to them uh, should they have normally normal family life with you talk to you eat with you drink with you go on holidays go shopping whether they whether they uh, to partake in normal funeral wedding birthday arrangements 
who fear what can happen to them because they're being indoctrinated by their leader. And again, understanding that can make a massive difference. Another understanding that can really help is to know that a heinous act has been committed against you. Though the law of the land doesn't recognize it yet. You have been a victim of one of the most cruelest acts of humanity. Parents being influenced and persuaded to separate themselves from their children, either emotionally or physically. What was once a happy family unit is now destroyed by the indoctrination of a religious cult. When you understand that what has happened to you was not love, it wasn't care, it wasn't merciful, you might feel a weight lift off your shoulders. It wasn't your fault, you've done nothing wrong. You've left behind a system of man's error, ego and arrogance and self-righteousness that was void of love. Conditional love is not love. You are free now to love everyone unconditionally, which leads to the third stage, celebration. Celebration, this is something we can move towards. And this is how I began to cope with the shunning and the ostracizing of uh, my family. Wow. It really puts it in a different light. Um, not that I want to kind of put down TBM family members because I feel like leaving the church, I've kind of come down out of my ivory tower where I looked down on everyone. And I know he said that there's something, you know, wrong with them. But I think the way that he's looked at it is that they're suffering just like we were. And they're, you know, it's not our fault and it's not their fault. I don't know. I... Yeah, and he says something that's really good in, in uh, a little bit is that those people who are indoctrinated or shunning are limited in how they can love and how they can express their love. Because once you're out, these people like him or us or whoever, we don't have those restrictions. We can love unconditionally we can express that love we don't have to worry about yeah people throw church doctrine at us or history or whatever it's, that's no big deal and um but we can love unconditionally we aren't confined to the constraints of of in this case the mormon church of who you can associate with because they're going to destroy your testimony so you are restricted in who you can love and how you can express that and um so that I thought that that was a great perspective and very freeing where, yes, I have that choice to love unconditionally whoever I like, um, even while being shunned. Okay. Okay. We're back to that time again. There's a couple more videos to go, but before we do, um, 200 likes is what we're going for in this video. Three things help the algorithm. One is likes two is comments and three is watching the video right to the end even if you put your phone down and stop listening um just allowing it to play to the end when i say goodbye um if everyone kind of clicks off when i'm uh, wrapping up and and click off like 20 seconds before the end the algorithm hates me um but if you stay just for the last like 10 or 15 seconds then that's an awesome thumbs up coming up uh, on the channel 
on Sunday evening, Sister PD is back with me, and we're looking at the second missionary discussion circa 1986 to see what's changed and, yeah, what's different to today's teachings. But back to uh, MFW, and <laughs> I thought this one was awesome. This will probably get me a copyright strike, but <laughs> I love the way that this, this kid talks. He's in a lot of movies at the minute. So how Mormons view ex-Mormons strapping? Russians somewhere out there. There wasn't anyone. I hope they eat babies and have sex with dogs. I mean, like, that's bad, right? Sex with dogs, yeah. The Englishmen do it too. We have to stop them before they eat us and screw all our dogs. It's crazy. <laughs> that kid's hilarious. <laughs> oh, but it's so true. They're crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah. And it, that's a great movie too. And when I saw that, it's funny, you know, when when I got out of the church, I start seeing all these things like, oh yeah, I can relate to that. And oh, that's funny. That's how I relate. And that's when I started doing all these TikToks and just putting all this stuff together and throwing stuff out there. Okay. No, that's awesome. Thank you. That that really uh, put a smile on my face. Okay. And to end it all, it is the commencement speech at Brigham Young University in the fall of 2021. And we all get a nice label here. All those TikTokers and podcasters um, get put in our place. Let's see what they've got to say. In the Book of Mormon, we learn of an antichrist who prided himself as a sophisticated, intelligent member of society. His name was Korahor. He was successful in leading people away from God. You can read about him in Alma chapter 30. If Korahor lived today, he would post on TikTok. <laughs> and he would create podcasts that cast doubt. As you read what he said and did, you will notice that it was never his intent to prove anything or to find truth, just like this defense lawyer. He simply cast doubt. Testimony. As a trial lawyer, I quickly learned how to identify the tactics that distract others from seeing or recognizing truth. As I became more experienced as a trial lawyer, I often told the jury that opposing counsel was like a magician who holds one high hand high in the air to distract your attention from, from what is really happening with the other hand. With his other hand, he is pulling a rabbit or a pigeon or a long scarf from his sleeve. The magician is hoping that your attention will be drawn away from the truth and that you will be seduced by the magic they are selling. <laughs> Isn't it funny how the church do that all the time? Exactly. And so, and that brings us right back to the beginning of today, where the church leadership are a lot of lawyers, because yeah. they know exactly how to do that. Yeah, Coriol sounded like a good guy. And MFW, it's almost like we planned that whole lovely circle um, to come back, you know, Sundance Film Festival should come and get us. Um <laughs> Okay, so thank you everyone for being here. We've had an awesome uh, chat going as well and some great 
uh, likes going on. MFW, do you have anything you would like to say to the world before we end this evening? Uh, no, I just thanks, PD. I uh, really appreciate you and for all that you're you're doing, putting the information out there. And and um, it's uh, we just need some more voices out there like like yours and just people sharing their experiences and um, because there are a lot of people hurting and figuring out what to do after leaving Mormonism. And I think ideally we'll hopefully I'll get to the point where, you know, just like what we talked about, uh, the church being like a, a narcissist, eventually when we can step away and it doesn't even register in our minds about our pain of Mormonism, if we can get to that point where that doesn't hurt us, where it's not part of us anymore, then I think that's the ultimate goal. Um, and I think people like you and, uh, uh, the stuff that you're doing is helping everyone kind of reach that goal. So thanks oh. a lot. No, thank you. And everyone go over and yeah, check out MFW's TikTok Mormon flesh wound. The link is in the description below. If you're not yet on, um, TikTok. looking at the poll, we've got 15%. We've had 71 votes. So if anyone wanted to vote now is the time. 71 votes 15 percent say yes they've watched you on tiktok 42 percent say um they've not but they will now so hopefully we'll see uh, an uptake in followers there for you and 42 percent say they don't have tiktok and don't want tiktok so that's understandable absolutely but thank you so much for being here I'll end the poll now thank you to everyone uh for coming along and listening and pat brain if you question you are weak pray harder <laughs> feel free to click thumbs down and unsubscribe see you all later bye